podcast. You're, not, you're hearing that correctly. It's episode one because I, for the life of me, I decided to do a new season of this. So, yeah. Uh, what you recently just saw was essentially the first back half season of Performing the Arts. As always, my name is Brian M. Davis. I am your host who does all this stuff in the, in the comfort of my own home. Joining me today is a... Joining me today is... Hi, my name is Beatrice. I'm a special effects makeup artist for film and TV. Beatrice uh, or B? Beatrice B. Yeah. I mean, my friends call me B. It's not that um, some people don't remember it. And also, I made my own company called the Beehive Studios. So it's kind of like a play on words. So yeah. it's fine. So B is, as you just mentioned, uh, you go by C, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure because, again, that was probably going to be edited out. Uh, B is not only a makeup artist for, you know, uh, small independent films, short films, uh, music videos, that sort of thing, but as you just mentioned, she runs her own studio called The Beehive, which is, which is based in both Jersey and New York City, or is it based in New York City, but you, or how do you, because on the website, it's both, you say you're kind of like both based in Jersey and New York, but I know if you look up Beehive, it's like based in New York City, I believe, on the west side? Um, well, it's in New Jersey, but it's fairly close to New York City, so I travel back and forth very often. Oh, and, okay. Uh, we just, uh, I just recently moved, so it's a little bit hectic. I have a little bit of everything everywhere, but hopefully, you know, good changes are, are, are going to be picking up. Of course. Uh, so how did you get into makeup as a as a profession um it was actually an accident i was going to school for computer animation and visual effects and then uh, i was required to take an elective class of my choice and the one that i saw was called intro to makeup for film and tv and it kind of gave you like a very basic rundown of uh of makeup on film and that kind of opened the door for me um, to create uh, to just jump into like other different uh, makeup and effects and I started like watching all these really cool movies and um, and it just it just kind of like opened this door for me and I was like wow this is kind of cool so I went from spending like 12 hours a day in front of the computer to like working better with like my hands and I get to like learn all these really cool techniques of uh, just building and prop making and just sculpting molding casting it was a really really cool world to jump into and and I just picked it up from there yeah uh I, I sort of have the same thing with theater because I'm a theater, a theater, I have a theater degree by trade, so I'm mostly in theater, but I know my way around film. And this past like a couple of semesters, as I was finishing up my uh, degree, I started taking more and more production classes because I was like more geared towards, since I wasn't part of the BFA, MFA program, uh, general BA will probably be like more production heavy, that sort of thing. So I started, it's like what you just said, it's like I was geared towards wanting to become like an actor, but once you start doing like the production stuff, it's like kind of like opening more doors and starting to see, hey, it's like, hey, this is kind of like more interesting to do because not only are you kind of like running the ship, so to speak, but you're also essentially keeping the ship intact, especially, especially when you're doing a, especially on a makeup heavy, uh, film, even if it's a short film, you, you know, the makeup has to be, I want to say ideal, but at the same time, top notch. So, yeah, it's so it's essentially, you know, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of just general film, were you kind of like, uh, did you watch a lot of films growing up, or was it just like, as you just said before, it kind of like happened by accident. Um, actually, I was did not watch that many films. I grew up in a very closed off, uh, I guess, uh, family. They were uh, like off the boat Russian and hardcore religious Jews. So I didn't, I wasn't really exposed to that kind of stuff until much later. Um, I think like uh, I, I met this one person who. Uh, uh, kind of introduced me to a whole bunch of horror films, but I wasn't like, oh, I want to be a special effects artist. It was like, oh, all right, this is cool. But it was only when I started growing an interest to in special effects that I was like, whoa, I have a lot of things I need to watch. Just not just 
just for myself to kind of like to, to know everything that's going on behind it to further develop my career and, and my abilities and, and inspiration too. So it was really great. And there's still a lot of movies I have to catch up on um, as, as this did come very late in my life, but yeah. I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm enjoying it. And I still am like rewatching a couple of films just because, you know, the masters of horror are just always inspiring us today. Indeed. Uh, it's why one of my favorite horror movies, it's like, I kind of joked around a couple days ago. It's like, I, I can't really pick my favorite horror movie because it's like, it always switches around because like, oh, I could just say, oh, it's yours and oh, it's John Carpenter's the thing or Silence of the Lambs. But, and, but like in those three movies, especially the thing mostly, that's a special effects heavy film. But in Silence of the Lambs, like the, the special effects is kind of, it's like not really outlandish. It's like, like the only outlandish stuff is like maybe Hannibal Lecter's escape and maybe what Buffalo Bill does to the bodies. And Jaws is kind of like very, it's special, it's like special effects heavy the way the 70s were in terms of that sort of like, like gore and that sort of thing. But in, in terms of seeing and watching these films, were has there been like films that kind of like this, that, in this past, like, say, since you started doing uh, special effects, like, have there been films that kind of, like, say, this is a very good inspiration for me, and I, you know, I want to watch it just to see how the makeup is used, that sort of thing, especially as a, uh, especially, you know, in that sort of film, I mean, that field. Um, well, what really brings me to horror is the fact that it, it really questions a lot of things that you don't normally question when you're watching a regular movie, like, you know, uh, it, especially with different concepts of horror, like there's so many ways where um, in some movies it's been filmed a certain way, and then, uh, you know, based on how it's getting cut and edited, you can swear that you saw certain things, but if you rewatch the movie, it's not even there. Or um, it's just it's just the idea of storytelling and how it's presented, and just the different formats that I really like about the horror genre because it really makes you think outside the box. Um, and it's really it, it, that I don't know. I think it's it's really good for developing your mental behavior in a certain way. Um, and and even in in movies just like like uh, Silence of the Lambs, like you mentioned, um, you know sometimes you don't need to see all of that gore and all of that like special effects in order to feel that fear and then there's other movies like you know the zombie movies like day of the dead um 28 days later where it's like you see the gore or even in saw you see the gore but you just don't want to turn away and a lot of people are not used to seeing that kind of gore so when uh that stuff came out everyone was like whoa what am i looking at but it's so hard to turn away i still want to watch and see what happens next so it, it kind of definitely developed um, into a, a whole branches, for lack of a better term. So that way there's more to learn, more to do. But there's like different, um, I guess, themes. There's like monster themes. There's like zombie themes. There's like um, like ghosts, demons, possessions. Like, you know, there's different um, branches, which I love very much. And they all do their own thing very wonderfully. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of odd because when I was growing up, my brother had a Freddy Krueger doll on the side of his bed. So Freddy Krueger would always like scare me half to death when I was a kid. And I would always have the Freddy Krueger nightmares like every now and then. But I, I always loved this like moment in my life where I kind of like started to appreciate the horror because I was, it was around like say 99, I want to say between 99 and 2000 because back then, uh, Stars and Showtime would always have their movies like premiering like almost like a year later after it was premiered in theaters. So I remember watching the end of Halloween is too well, right? And Michael Myers is attacking Laurie Strode and they have this fantastic, you know, car crash, like they go round and round like that. And and Michael Myers is stuck in a tree, right? So you have this ultimate face of evil, and he's like stuck in a tree and he's like doing like he's like reaching out to his sister. And she just like takes the axe that she's holding and just like swipes the guy's head off. And I'm like, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, wait, 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 this is the guy I've been afraid. This is one of the guys I'm afraid of for the past like 10 years or so. And he's just taken out like a, like a, like anything else. I'm like, and it's, it's not because like the following, t like the almost the following, like 
year or so, or like the following year, like the year next year or so, I just started watching like the Halloween movies, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, that sort of thing. I didn't get into like Friday the 13th like way later because I think Jason was just like the last person to think in terms of like horror because I like, because it's like, you gotta go like with Michael Myers and then Freddy Krueger and then, oh, here's Jason. You know, even though Jason is like in his own little league of his own because it's like, and I could have a discussion about which Jason is the best, but it's, it's very hard. It's like, it's very hard because, you know, especially with Michael Myers and to, Michael Myers too. And Freddy Krueger is like his, his own character, but. Right. But, right. but when you think about, you know, horror, you know, when you think about what, what you just said before, it's like there are subcategories in horror movies that are essentially, you know, the monster movie, the ghost movie, the possessed movie, where it's like, it's not necessarily a ghost movie, but the person is practically possessed, like uh, like The Exorcist or right. something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like know, slasher yeah. films, there's like vampires, there's like werewolves, you know, so it's a lot of different, really awesome branches in horror. There's the, Ita- there's the Italian horror called Gal, uh, not Galileo, uh, Galileo, I'm, I'm counting it incorrectly, but if you watch Dario, uh, Dario Argento, he's a master of that. He's just like, so, you know, there are subcategories of horror, but I think for the most part, and this is what you were just mentioning before, uh, back towards, I want to believe, 2004 to say, 2012 or so that's when like i want to say that was like the golden age of like when saw was really really like the whole torture porn phase was like going through but when you do watch saw it's like yes the 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 traps and everything it is a highlight of the movie but the it also has all the very good storyline like once you start watching the movies outside the, the gore and everything Right. Oh, wow. It really makes you think, like, you know, is it, like, how, how valuable is your life? Is, it, is your life valuable in someone else's life? Like, who, why is that life that more valuable than the other life? What would you do if you were in that situation? So, you know, I think it, it's really, really helps you think, even though it's just a movie, um, it really makes you think about life and, and philosophy in, in a weird way, the dark way, but still... I don't know. I feel like these movies are just forms of art. I don't. I don't really feel like there's any evil intentions behind it. So um, it's. I still like the fact that people go out of their way to kind of uh, teach people a lesson um, in regards to like what life means to you. Yeah. Uh, now, do you think that there is a? Oh, sorry. Hang on a second. Firework. Uh, not fireworks, I think it may have been fireworks. I'm not sure if it was fireworks, but I just heard a very loud bang that went like bang, 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 bang. So I'm not sure if that was fireworks or if that was just like the wind crashing into something. Knowing this neighborhood, it could be both. Uh, but yeah, uh, do you think that the reason why Saw and all those other movies during that time were kind of like attacked for the gore and all that stuff was an easy scapegoat because sort of like, Back in the 1990s, it had the same thing with horror movies and how horror movies were so, you know, heavy-handed with the violence and everything. And it was coming right out of Columbine, too. So a lot of movies were getting stripped almost of their violence or whatnot because of the, essentially, people were kind of, like, scared. Not scared, but they were essentially, like, parental guardians, that sort of thing, who were essentially trying to make sure all these like violent movies were not like violent anymore. Do you still see? I don't think that's the case because I feel like horror movies always had a bad rep. They've been violent since they first came out. Like when, when people were watching like Day of the Dead, you know, they were like looking at all these people tear, like like dismembering bodies or like slasher films where they, people were saying it was misogynistic because all of them were going after females, just killing a whole bunch of people, you know? So it's like there was, and, and even like, even in The Exorcist, that messed up a lot of people. And, and like, you know, there's a lot of violence in horror movies, but it's an art form. So I don't think- Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe like uh, Saw and other torture porn movies came into play and it, it again, it made people more concerned uh, for others, but I think the gore was always there, you know, it's just, it came in different formats. 
Yeah, I, I noticed that, and especially comic books around the time kind of had a little problem with that because there was a uh, back in like I, I want to say twenty, like in the early twenty tens, there was a comic book storyline where the Joker practically had no face, so he practically his face was essentially like was ripped off, so he had to like essentially staple his face back together, all that stuff, and it was a pretty graphic like look to say the least because you had the joker and you had essentially exposed uh, exposed muscles that sort of thing and and they recently did that for the the tv show gotham too and it kind of fit the the mold in terms of what they're doing but on a makeup scale it, it i don't want to say mrs mark but i will say yeah that's wind no actually no, I think that's someone doing fireworks at the early in the day. Yeah, if someone hears this at the thing, it's almost July 4th and someone's doing fireworks in the distance. So if you hear like a pop, 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 that's just fine. That's what I figure. Everyone's out doing fireworks lately. Yeah, and it's like, and it's like what? 3.30 in the afternoon? Yeah, it's, it, it's fireworks somewhere. Uh, especially in this neighborhood. But yeah, in terms of makeup, especially with a uh, TV show like Gotham, you know, it, it was on a TV budget, so, you know, TV-wise, you can't really do that much in terms of, you know, makeup, because you're, you're, you're dealing with a limited budget, that sort of thing, especially if you're doing a, a, an episode series that's like 22 episodes a season, that sort of thing, so you have to really spend your time, uh, spend your time, especially with the makeup guy, kind of, uh, sparingly especially if it's like a, a makeup heavy character as such with joker uh now in, in your expertise in your career has uh and since you started your own uh production company uh have you ran into tr well not say trouble but have you ran into moments where it's like you have to essentially not necessarily cost down with makeup but at the same time just make sure you're not overly spending a lot of just uh, a lot of uh, makeup in a uh, portion well um most of the time it always comes down to budget unfortunately no one likes to talk about it um but yeah. that's usually what it comes down to and you know i always try to find ways to uh you know uh compromise with the budget i just kind of kind of feel it out um, what they can afford versus like what we can do with it. I always like to offer different options of like, okay, so we may not be able to do this effect, but we can still edit it in a certain way to get the point across. You may not visually see a lot of things, but people can still be horrified by the idea. Um, you know, so um, it, it, it really depends on how you want to edit it. It depends on the budget. And then um, I think there's like the, the, the three triangle, the three circle rule where it's like um, very, very good, very, very cheap, or very, very fast. You can only pick two, you know? So if you want something that's very good and cheap, it's not gonna be fast if you want to, yeah. you know? So it's like, you gotta pick two and then it's gonna really be lacking in the third one. Um, yeah. that's, that's the rule of thumb when it comes to makeup and stuff. But I try, to, I try my best to kind of, because I love it so much, I will work with the budget. I will try to make it, especially if I really like the idea behind the film. If I'm very supportive, you know, I try to work my way around it. And sometimes, you know, payment isn't always uh, in the form of money. It could be in the form of like, you know, hey, you know what, hire me next time on your next project and we'll work out a deal. Or refer me to someone else and get a discount, something like that. So especially in a, in a world where uh, people are so passionate in the film industry and don't always have all the money to do it. There's certainly different ways around it. Yeah, uh, I know for a fact that with the small amount of production stuff I've done, especially uh, film-wise, in terms of like special effects, there was always no special effects because of the you know some of the stuff was like student-based films and student-based films can't really do special effects that sort of thing. So it, it was always like applied and like I think I was supposed to play, uh, you know, I, I remember there was supposed to be a short film I did a few years ago back in college. It, it was never finished because apparently the guy who was filming it never got the money or something like that or either it was some sort of thing with the money or it was some sort of 
the thing with the main guy who was playing the act, like the main actor. So it, it, so technically speaking, it was never finished. But I was supposed to be playing a main uh, a character in, in the hospital who was like not uh, not necessarily uh, uh, an amputee, but the character was supposed to have some sort of disfigurement or something like that. And here I am in my pajamas and a, a regular t-shirt just laying in bed acting like i'm supposed to like be injured and whatnot even though i'm perfectly fine so yeah it, it definitely falls under budget and a lot of things and i remember talking to one of my other guests that well a couple of my guests about this but there there is a the fact that the business side of acting or just the business side in general really isn't really isn't talked about a lot in terms of just entertainment in general so I, I really do wish that in in classes and whatnot, especially in college, they start teaching stuff that's more geared towards the business side of everything. Yeah, I agree. And, I, used to, I used to teach in several schools. I would teach special effects. And I remember I would always uh, spend one day talking about the business of special effects, how to do your taxes, how to know what everybody's job on set is, how to act properly on set, how to be able to speak to your talent on set. So not many people do that, but that's very, very important. And I've had a couple of arguments with some people, like, you know, some people that were saying, oh, you know what, I would never hire someone without a license to do this and makeup. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of people with licenses I wouldn't hire because they don't know how to properly act and behave on set. Um, so it really depends on the experience that other people have and the common sense and how they're able to adapt to the business side of filmmaking. Yeah, and again, it's always a rough pickle because sometimes you gotta deal with the people you have, especially like you like what you just said before. You have three options: uh, you know, very very good, very fast, or very cheap, and you can't really those two. Yeah, Olympic do. So sometimes when you're working with the people, these people could be very good, they could work very fast, and they could be very cheap especially in terms of being payment but that's and again payment is also another thing that uh payment is also another thing that's always kind of like not frowned upon but really isn't really talked about especially in terms of just production in general so yeah uh and speaking of school and stuff like that uh in terms of your production company uh the beehive i've recently noticed that or recently saw that you put out your own little uh post about and as i'm talking about this COVID is still happening so yeah uh you mentioned that you put in your own precautions in terms of not only sanitizing your studio but having more limited space that sort of thing uh in terms of how did that come about it was like did you do this like did you particularly not particularly did you like think about that like over the course of the quarantine or did you just say you know this this like by the time production happens that there's gotta be probably be a lot of production places that really haven't really been uh really have been uh what's it called uh hasn't like picked up the ball yet in terms of like production safety that sort of thing so I want to pick up the ball. I want to pick up on the ball in, ter in terms of like production safety and that sort of thing. So yeah. Um, well, uh, well, first of all, I'm not. I don't really have a production company. This is just my company for producing oh. different special effects and artwork and like you know photography and whatever whatever need be. So um, oh, okay. I, don't movies, I just make them look pretty. <laughs> oh okay. Um, um, uh, my mistake. No, it's okay. Um, when it comes to the COVID stuff, um, I, I've been, like, of course, it's been a huge question about, um, you know, the film business getting back and, and starting the ball rolling, and everyone's been concerned with the whole case of COVID-19, and it's not something you can just, you know, ignore and get back to work a lot, you know, a lot of the times, everyone is most concerned about, okay, what's life going to be like after, you know, we start opening up? Um, yeah. And uh, when it comes to makeup artists, uh, you know we spend the most time and very close interaction with our talent um, most of the time. So we are at higher risk of getting or even like infecting other people. Um, so, you know, there have been a couple of guidelines that have been um, set out by like Hollywood and, and different major companies and they were breaking down how the sets are going to change um, from now on and what people should be more aware of. 
and um, I just kind of used, I read through it. I took a bunch of courses on how to, um, you know, be more sanitized and how to change my behavior, um, you know, moving forward after all of this pandemic. Um, so I just kind of made my own sheet of how I think um, I want to change my ways. Um, and it's, it's important to be informed about it when we are going to be starting productions again. It's very important to start the conversation of what are we doing to change, uh, uh, you know, our ways ever since the pandemic. How are we, what are we doing to improve the set life? How are we keeping everything and everybody safe? Like what, what changes are we making to be better? Um, so I just wanted to put that forth out there and, and inform people, look, it's important to start the conversation. It's important to have an open discussion if you have any questions. And these are the precautions I am taking so that way you can be safe and I can be safe and we can keep everyone happy and stop the spread as quickly as possible. Um, you know, as a makeup artist, it's our job to keep everything sanitized and um, clean, but like we don't really talk about it because it's more of something that we of a behavior we have to develop. Uh, so I think it's just keeping everybody informed is really important in my opinion. So that's why I let that, um, I released that um, poster flyer or whatever so that way people can be aware that uh, I'm being aware of yeah. uh, what to, what's changed and, and to be uh, very cautious of how to move forward. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned kind of like an important point is like both makeup artists and stylists in general are essentially uh, are essentially right next to the actors, that sort of thing. They're right, uh, and so a lot of the people, essentially, especially, you know, if your job is essentially to go through an actor's, you know, uh, face and essentially put makeup or some sort of like uh, color to the skin to make them look like aliens, that sort of thing, you're at a more higher risk because, you know, Right. You're, everyone can stay socially distant and keep the six feet on set. But with a makeup artist, you can't. You know, it's the only profession um, where you're spending so long and next to someone's face. So uh, I think it's important to show uh, that, uh, you know, these precautions are being taken. Yeah. So and I do applaud you for taking that precaution, especially right before, I, I, I'm not sure when the phase is to actually go back into production, but I, I believe that's phase four and we haven't really entered phase four yet. We're supposed to be entering phase three next week or so. And even then phase three might be a very, a very, very slow phase. Everyone's already saying we gotta go back. Like at first everyone was saying, oh yeah, you can do indoor dining. And now everyone's like, no, 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 no more. We might go back a few steps. So it's really tricky to say when we're gonna open up. Um, and especially like there's union and then there's independent films. So I think union hasn't given the green light yet. And I don't know when they will, um, but with independent filmmakers, you never know, like I'm already getting, um, you know, people contacting me saying, hey, we want to make a film uh, in like a, in a month or two. And I'm like, well, it's tough to say where we are at, um, but uh, you know what, I will move forward with you if you guys choose to move forward. And of course, they're all being respectful as well. They're like, oh, if COVID allows us to, so, feel, so please understand it might get canceled or pushed forward. So it's like, we're talking about different films that may or may not happen, but um, of course, independent filmmakers will do whatever they want to do. But even as independent, independent filmmakers do what they do, it's still important that they make aware of the precautions that they are taking, that even though they are not in the union, they still have to, um, I guess, like I said, start the discussion that this is what we're doing to make changes to make you feel safe. Yeah. And right now, especially in terms of just the internet world, especially for Broadway, Broadway is essentially closed down until January of next year. Yeah. And originally it was going to be until, oh, you know, it's like what you just said before, it's like, oh, originally it was going to be from March to June, and then from June, then June got canceled and say, oh, it's got to be after Labor Day. And as Labor Day, as, like, as we go straight into uh, summer, it was like, oh, no, no, it's got, we, they pushed it all the way back to June, not June, uh, January next year. And all the people who I know, especially who graduated like me, the opportunities essentially have essentially lost like their opportunities to be to work on Broadway or start working off Broadway, especially in in terms of acting or just in in theater in general. They're they're up for, in a very bad creek right now because you know it 
like you just said before, is like, oh, you know, COVID. And again, this is another thing that relates back to uh, theater is that, you know, theater, they have makeup artists and, you know, stuff like that in general. So they have stylists, all that stuff. And it's like what you just before, a lot of these people, especially if they're right, if you're right next to an actor, you're more in danger of maybe catching something other than say COVID, you know, it's like more in danger of just getting cold in general, right. you know? So, and it's like what you said before is like, once the union figure out, uh, figure out, bleh, once the union decides to figure out a, a nice little timestamp of like, say, this right. is a nice day to go back, then everyone would just say, okay, it's time to go back. That's what because they, they know it was like, it doesn't mean that it's going back to normal. We're just going to have to get used to a different kind of normal, you know? And it's like, everyone's going to be wearing face masks for a while. And it's like, yeah, COVID is affecting a lot of us, some worse than others. Um, you know, some people are losing their family members. Some people like don't have, are not getting unemployment, you know? So it's hitting everybody uh, very hard um, in many cases. And we're all in this together. We just got to find a way to push forward and figure out when it's safe to get back to slowly get back into business and and even then when we do get back to business it's not going to be the same it's definitely going to have to be changes at least for a certain couple of months you know and it sucks because this is something um the pandemic is something in nature and that's not yeah. something we can control which sucks because the economy and and, and everything like that is something that's man-made so um and we just don't understand the concept of something that's like, you know, something in nature, something that can kill a whole bunch of people, as we see. Um, so, you know, we're trying to figure out when it is safe to get back into business and, and slowly, eventually making more films. <laughs> yeah. And there is a certain irony about how essentially, uh, and I think this was probably well, laid it back maybe a couple episodes ago, but there, there's a certain irony where, you know, post-COVID, the films are going to be like more apocalyptic. There's got probably got to be a lot, a lot more apocalyptic uh, like films in general. Maybe, maybe in in terms of being green, greenlit, that sort of thing. But it, there is a certain irony, essentially, how the films in the past they really haven't really shown what happened, like a pandemic, like people going back in terms of like back to work, how a pandemic, like when the pandemic was over, they never show how people were going back to work, that sort of thing. They never showed like the repercussions of that. So it, right. there, there, there's a certain irony in filmmaking where it's like, oh, the, you know, they, they, there's a happy ending, you know. Uh, right, you don't see what happens after that. <laughs> yeah, like the closer you ever actually see about that or maybe films like Deep Impact where you actually see like America or the world essentially start going back to normal and it's not uh, and the normal is there's no normal again the day after tomorrow there is no normal after you know a friggin you know ice age like a new ice age coming out of nowhere so right. it's like but in, so, in, a, in a good way like on the other side like I feel like um the pandemic is also uh helped us open our eyes because, you know, I know some directors that are still making movies while in quarantine. There's a whole bunch of, um, you know, people trying to encourage people to make movies by themselves at home. And it's, it's really cool how like nothing is stopping these people from making movies and it's inspirational in so many ways. People are learning new things of uh, how, to, how to work around the situation, how to still be able to show that, look, I'm still here, I can still do things even though we're all quarantined together and they're, they're learning a whole bunch of things. I know some people that are learning how to make a movie on their phone, which is preposterous to them. And they would not have learned that if they weren't told to be staying at home and not have any interaction with anybody else. There's so much that you're learning. You're learning to be more in, uh, independent, I think. And um, I guess it's a good thing. Um, and it's, it's kind of creating more, um, ideas of, of how you can kind of either sit and think about where your life is uh, going, what direction it's going, or how you can surpass this pandemic and still be able to do what you love, you know? Yeah, there, there, uh, there's a director who you just, uh, who I thought of when you mentioned like phones and there's a director called Steven Stoderberg who like kind of like almost on the pulse of like getting very innovative in terms of filmmaking. And one of the 
like one of the most recent films he did Unsane was literally shot on like an iPhone uh, an iPhone so it was like the first theatrical film to be shot and edited on an iPhone so yeah the, there are directors who who are trying to become a lot, a lot more adaptable in terms of this sort of like style now especially it's, it's because I know that uh, a couple months ago Roger Corman actually had this contest of uh, quarantine filmmaking where it's like he would see like see like who would now I, and I wanted to do it but I had no idea how to do it because you know I've shot my phone before I shot you know uh, with my phone that sort of thing but I didn't know how to like you know set up shops that sort of thing and so even in the comfort of my own home it's like it's a little more harder for challenge. someone yeah it's more of a much more of a harder challenge to figure out hey how do I shoot a film especially on my phone when it's only just me myself and I but so that you know that's where the challenge comes in uh but yeah uh in terms of uh in terms of just like uh, stepping away from COVID since I feel like that's always going to be a, a conversation all by itself it's like well, but, it uh, yeah. yeah but it's always going to be a conversation that I have to bring it up to with each of my interviews especially since this is since this I, since this show was kind of like born out of not necessarily out of the idea of what's been happening especially being at the stay-at-home stuff but this show is essentially a, a way to almost like a way to I want to say like it's a way to like break out of like have a little uh, a, a space to essentially talk about you know the stuff that you know people won't be talking about in terms of like COVID and production stuff especially right. actors and stuff like that but walking away from COVID you know bye bye yeah uh in terms of inspirations that sort of thing uh you mentioned that you kind of are inspired by horror films, especially in the past, as you, in terms of your career. Are there any makeup artists in general that you are inspired from in terms uh, of, uh, in terms of makeup? Uh, you, like, okay, so there's a lot of makeup artists now, and then there's a lot of makeup artists then. Like, I can't, well, we can't forget Tom Savini since he yes. was the one that created majority of the um, the slasher effects and the horror, horror and gore, and I admire his techniques and his like on-the-spot thinking and, and a lot that he's brought into the special effects world. I love Rick Baker. I love Dick Smith. You know, they created a lot of really cool um, uh, concepts and techniques that we still use today and we still look at them uh, as inspiration because they brought so much to this world. Um, Greg Nicotero, Stan Winston, Stan Winston was did like awesome like awesome things the stuff like alien terminator jurassic park like all that stuff greg candom did a lot v neil um amazing makeup artist steve johnson uh awesome wonderful makeup artist um neil gorton um i know he has his own facebook page which is very informal which i love um uh, so that way you know every special effects artist can come and talk about the advanced techniques of makeup um, and he's always there to answer. And that's, that's really what I love about a lot of these special effects artists is that they're very down to earth. They're not the people that are in front of the camera. They're the people behind the camera. And that's why, like, I would always, uh, some people would get starstruck from like actors and celebrities. I would get starstruck from, from like artists. Cause I'm like, wow, they did so much and they brought so much into this world. And if it wasn't for them, like they, they just have, they open this door of creativity that, uh, not many people get to say that they did. So it's, I'm really grateful that they were able to contribute as much as they did to this world. Yeah, uh, if it wasn't for people, especially in horror movies, because the, the, in horror movies, especially creating the monster or the madman, this, you need a, a great uh, special effects artist or makeup artist in general to essentially... Right, there's a lot of creativity there. There's like, you know, I've never seen personally what a zombie looks like you know but yeah. these people will be able to create oh this is what it looks like this is what it would look like if your head got chopped off or if someone bit into your face or or like you don't you don't see that every day but like these kind of films help you imagine it and being able to visually see the horror and it gets to you a lot faster and, and like i don't want to say it's like a good traumatizing you know yeah. so um 
unlike like love and romance or action movies that you see nowadays you don't normally see that like uh in a horror movie it kind of opens a lot of doors that's why i really like it yeah uh in terms of and again this is talk about the inspirations but i've seen some of your gore work on both instagram and also on your website and it is like exceptional because it's like not only is it so detailed but it, it, it like it is so lifelike it's like like are those inspirations like what i just mentioned sort of like what you kind of like go into like you know oh it's like uh, the character is like oh is he, he shined the face like the, the but the bullet is like he goes to the cheek and it has it doesn't like come out of the cheek so it's like there's like this gaping hole in the cheek so like what is your process essentially to to not necessarily on like that sort of like a makeup thing like makeup effect in general but like do those like artists that you just mentioned before are they essentially I want to say with you as you kind of like make up your own like as you do your own makeup um well it's always important to have reference photos that's very very important because i see a lot of uh special effects artists that have the passion but you know they would create this wound and then cover it in blood and it's like that's honestly like if i had to choose between my favorite kind of makeup it would most likely be demons um, only because uh, with 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 uh, gore, you can hide a lot of things with blood. And I see yeah. a lot of people doing that. A lot of people are like making a wound and it doesn't look very good, but it's okay. People are hiding everything with blood. And a lot of people, um, especially with directors, they don't, especially with student directors, um, they don't really know who they're looking for when they're trying to hire special effects artists. So if one person does a really quick, like haunt makeup, um, that's very, very severe. Uh, that they're doing with tissue and latex and it doesn't I mean for, for me because I'm a little bit more trained in the in the um, in, in my experiences but if I look at it like a tissue and latex makeup versus like something I sculpted molded cast it out of silicone and then it looks like really really good with before the blood before I apply blood on it the director won't know the difference unfortunately but he's willing to pay the same amount he just wants the same thing know um but with demons um i think there's more colors there's more uh patterns that you can find na in nature like in leaves or in fish or in or in uh flowers these beautiful patterns you can just find if you uh you know if you look the right way um you can't hide things with blood you know you can mess with the anatomy you can add wings you can add horns you can add like really cool like muscular structure and it's like you know there's no hiding you, you have more to play with more options and um i don't know i, I kind of like a little bit of both worlds i still but but most important references are important if you want to pull off a look um you're you need references and even so i have a whole bunch of folders on my computers of just different references like old age references this is what a cut looks like and then it depends on like how you got cut did you get cut with a chainsaw did you get cut with like a, a knife was the knife serrated was the person taller than you were you strangled like you have to exactly know the forensics behind it before you can actually jump in and start doing makeup it's weird how you say it. it's like it's almost it's almost like a, a an exact science to all this there is, yeah. yeah. It's like, even when I'm teaching makeup, I'm always talking, like, if someone hits you in the face, like, where do you expect the bruise to, to, to start developing? How is it going to develop? It's going to uh, be more severe on areas that are protruding from your face, so, like, your eyebrow, your cheekbone, um, you know, so it's like, there's definitely a science behind it, and a lot of the times, you know, I, I find myself playing with a whole bunch of chemicals that, and <laughs> some of them possibly kill me if I, I don't use it properly, you know, so it's like, I do feel like a scientist, you know, I'm figuring, I'm constantly looking at, at uh, realistic reference photos. I'm dealing with a whole bunch of materials, um, you know, and, and trying to do whatever I can to kind of pull off the look. Now, you mentioned demon, demon before. Do you have, a, 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 is, now, is demon your favorite type of character to work with? Or, or do you have, like, other type of characters you like to work with? But, yeah. I, I like changing it up because, you know, I can't say, oh, this is my favorite. I'm going to, I wish I could do this for the rest of my life. I, I like changing it up. That's the video about special effects because there's so many different branches. You know, you can create a character, you can create like an effect, like I can make someone older, balder, fatter, or I can blow someone's brains out. I can like turn, I can do a body painting on him. I can turn him into a demon. So there's a lot of different ways 
go about it. I feel like demons are more um, challenging. That's why I like it because there's more that you can apply to it. Um, that's more, just my personal preference. And they're more versatile because the, the demons don't have a default look because technically speaking, uh, aside from uh, uh, aside from demons in general, like the stuff you read in texts, demons. When you say a demon, oh, you think, oh, maybe it's something that looks like a like Satan. You know, they have a you know, the, the red face. They have you know horns to like coming out of here. But demons can always uh, demons essentially could look like anything they wanted to, especially since you know it's like they have the the appearance of they could look like humans for one second and then when they and then once they become pissed off or something like that they have a completely different look so it's like it's so in a way not only is there exact science to it it's also there's like an eye of beholder to it where it's like you have your own way of like craziness like uh how to actually create that especially when you become you know when you mention something like zombies there's so many zombies, there's so many zombie types, there's so many zombie, there's like so many zombie references now. It's like, yep. oh, it's like, uh, you mentioned 28 Days Later, 28 Days Later is sort of like a zombiness uh, co combined with something like rabies, that sort of thing. So how yep. would, so how would a rabies affected a uh, human look? Like, you know, and how would they, you know, how would their parents look? You know, they would still look human, you know, that, but their blood, veins that sort of thing they would become like maybe a lot more exposed you know that they, they would right. have like maybe like bloodshot eyes that sort of thing so you're right. so not only are you constantly looking at this uh scientifically but also you're looking at this very uh analytically i guess too where yeah, it's just like yeah it's like you have to kind of put yourself like you know you don't you don't normally see these things in real life so it's it's kind of special effects artist job to imagine things and you have to kind of put yourself in that world and figure out okay what would happen if if this was a situation what like what would it look like what's happening in your veins what's happening in your like you know in your in your whole body in your system and um and I think it's I love it I think it's great because it just kind of helps you uh think outside the box and it, it kind of pushes your creativity to kind of see what else can you bring to the table yeah, and that's why I, uh, you know, one of my favorite games to play, especially in a more relaxing setting, is The Last of Us. And The Last of Us has so many zombie-style creatures because, technically speaking, they're not really zombies, but they're zombie-like because they oh, they were created from a uh, uh, some sort of fungi or some sort of like zombie, like some sort of uh, fungus or something like that. And but they still act like zombies because, technically speaking, they had the zombie walk in the zombie mindset but and they have other ways of actually looking at like zombies in terms of yeah it, it, like demons zombies vampires werewolves it's like a, a lot of these supernatural creatures or paranormal creatures in general they're very interchangeable because there's no default look i mean they are default looks it's just that oh it's like oh when you think of a vampire it's like oh the, the bella lugosi cape suit you know Slick back hair, you know, uh, uh, Whittle's uh, Peak right there, you know, vampire fangs, that sort of thing. Werewolf, like gray, full, you know, gray fur, that sort of thing. It gets boring after a while, but when you start changing it up, that sort of thing. Right, like in American Werewolf in London, for example, no one ever saw the physical transformation of a werewolf. And like, when are you going to see that? But it's yeah. like, they were able to, to I, I've, I've, uh, yeah, they were able to kind of create that look, and that was the most terrifying thing people have ever seen. And we still like, like we still bring it up to this day because nobody at that time saw such effects. And that's that's the cool part because it's a special effects artist's job to kind of bring that to life. So it doesn't necessarily have to fall into horror um, per se. It can fall uh, under like sci-fi or fantasy because you know it's it's our job just to kind of make it believable. You know. Yeah. And the great thing about that scene too is that it's it's how unexpected that scene is too because yeah. you know the main character he's reading a book and then he goes oh my god and such uh, like he has like this like almost headache thing and then he starts roaring groaning all that stuff and then you see little by little all this transformation about how he's transferring into a wolf for the first time or mm -hmm. at least on screen so and you know in the past when say it was like something like the wolf man it was sort of like 
they would do it like frame by frame. We would be like, you know, all this stuff would just happen like slowly, frame right. by frame by frame. But with the advantage of what Rick Baker, yeah, it was Rick Baker who did the American World. Uh, yeah, well, Rick, what Brett Baker did, he basically made essentially uh, a mechanical wolf yeah. and just slowly but surely showed you how the process of a wolf could be in terms of an actual werewolf and not, say, a wolf man, like in, you know, the wolf man. So, right. it, and it's something that they actually try to do again in the wolf man, the, the, uh, the, the wolf man that came out like 10 years ago. Which oddly enough, Baker also had a hand in. But when they wanted to recreate that, uh, when they wanted to recreate that, they mostly they mostly just use CGI, and the CGI really does put a hamper on the physical uh, physical quality of it. Which brings up which brings up a good point or a good question, really, is when there is the need to use CGI, right, in terms of makeup. Do you see makeup artists? saying okay i know a way to show the cgi because you know it's like the like the, the nightmare on street remake they mostly use practical makeup but they also use cgi to deepen the uh the, the look of Freddy mm -hmm. Cooper because they wanted him to look more like an actual firm right uh so just like in terms of makeup in general do you see cgi makeup being a lot more like easy to work with or do you just prefer to work with actual like actually getting in terms of uh, in the nitty and gritty and actually making something out of the out from scratch and just saying, okay, just have a computer just do this in like three weeks. I could just easily just do this in three hours. Right. Um, I think there is a difference between CGI and practical. Um, you know, CGI is still a young art, especially since, you know, I have a couple, I have a background in CGI and that's initially what I thought I was going to do with my life. Um, yeah. so, but it only makes me appreciate uh, filmmaking more because I know how much thought is put behind it. Um, but the thing about CGI is not all of it is believable. And uh, the, the tricky part is getting it to be believable because if it's not, you know, your, your audience isn't going to feel that fear and they're not going to be emotionally involved if they, don't, if they don't feel a connection with it. If it's practical, there's some sort of magic about like, you know, being an actor and being able to physically stand next to a zombie. You can take photos with it and it's like the light catches it a certain way that CGI can only guesstimate, you know. Um, so, uh, and there's some sort of like something with the, the movement of people that CGI hasn't really caught yet. Um, they're doing motion tracking and all, but uh, there are also several ways to kind of combine forces. Like, you know, in some cases I saw this, like even in Walking Dead, um, there was some really cool makeups and like, you know, this one person that had half his face in makeup and then the other half was green for the green screen part. So mm. I think if they work together, um, they can produce some really amazing results. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, it's odd when you look at films that were kind of based in CGI in the early '90s. Like you 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 look at stuff like Jurassic Park or Terminator Two, where the the CGI is sort of like at the very early stages, and then you watch like you know when you see the the T Rex escaping from its uh, holding uh, I mean its uh, holding pen, and you see oh yeah it's like. Part, you know, partially that's seen in CGI, but when you see the, the T-Rex up close, that's an actual, like, life-size T-Rex thing. When you see uh, the T-1000 uh, being shot at, oh, it's like, you can see where the uh, the makeup comes in, but when you see him actually walking through the thing, that's CGI, and that's when, it's like, nowadays, people, there is a heavy reliance on CGI, because I guess, because, in a way, it it saves money, even though it costs more money to put in CGI. But I'm not sure how that that again. That's the business side of uh, both business side of production, where it's like uh, a lot of these films, uh, especially a lot of recent action films, they do a lot uh, of reliance on CGI. You know, yeah. something like John Wick. God bless it. It doesn't re rely a lot on CGI. It ha relies on you know very physical uh, physical things. But when you watch something like say a recent Marvel or DC movie, there's a lot of CGI in there, it's and yeah. a lot and a lot of makeup. It's and you see a lot of makeup too. 
but it, it kind of like overshadows like the the makeup is like overshadowed by oh the CGI that's in there. So yeah, uh, I do wish that makeup artists or just makeup in general and CGI in general could somehow make it like sort of like a union where it's like they actually could like like they do is like like uh, like a union like they start like actually working together on like on foam that sort of thing rather than relying on one portion to do that and another portion to do that other thing because well there are some companies that are like like practical and vfx combined so it's like they're the go-to companies where if you wanted a certain effect on you can discuss based on your budget and how you wanted to go about it um but but there are a lot of times where um you know the two comp the two uh effects people go hand in hand and they are they co they work together very closely yeah. um but it also really depends on like how it depends on the director i think how heavy cgi he wants it versus how practical he wants it because each of them has pros uh pros and cons um it just really depends on how you want to tackle the film uh I uh, just to finish off the just to finish that off, uh, just pull it off because I only have like two questions left. But just to finish, uh, because I really don't want to take up most of your time. But uh, thank you. Uh, just to finish the start off, uh, there is a movie, a remake, like ten years ago, called The Thing. Even though you know, and it had the same problem: is that when they were doing the production of the movie, it was. Uh, they did heavy-handed, like actual practical effects, but but for whatever reason, the production, the the studio Universal wasn't liking how it looked, even though it looked great. They decided to do essentially the CGI route. So yeah, uh, to finish uh, so there are. I'm kind of glad that there are people now that they're actually saying, hey, makeup and CGI could actually work together. It's just that they need to work together hand in hand. So it's got to be. It's gonna be a long few years before that actually gets together. Where it's just like you can actually see not only a great effect on The Walking Dead or whatever a new zombie, and it's, and you can't really tell if it's CGI or makeup because it's still working hand in hand. All right, yeah. long-winded uh, roundabout side, long-winded uh, traction side. Uh, I only have two questions left. Sure. My my first question is. Aside from what you just mentioned uh, a, a little while ago, what can we expect you in the in, in the coming future or the foreseeable future? Wait, me personally or from special effects? Just you personally, like you were like, do you have like stuff in the future that's like still in, in wrapping up that sort of thing? I mean, yeah, there are some projects that have to be put on pause um, because of cold COVID. Um, so waiting from those, and then there's definitely more projects coming up. I mean, I guess the only thing to expect is for bigger, greater things. Um, I don't know, the whole process of being uh, an artist, especially if you're a majority uh, self-taught, is the fact that you're always going to be getting bigger and better constantly. If the passion is there, motivation is there, then, you know, the learning never stops and i think that's the beauty about this art is just like i will stop learning when i'm dead there's so many different techniques there's so many amazing amazing things that that have been shown to the public but there's so much more that you can bring to the table you know um and that's why i love it so much because it just never it never ends and it's it's so amazing um you can bring like 10 uh makeup artists very very talented very very experienced makeup artists into one room and you tell them to do one thing and they're all going to do it differently and there is no right or wrong way about it it's just your technique and the result and that's the cool part there's always something to learn from everybody and it's humbling in a way but it also to me it inspires and pushes me to keep moving forward and do better things uh yeah that's actually a pretty good point is that you can put ten makeup artists in a room or ten production people in a room, and they, and you actually you ask each of them to do one thing. Ten different techniques could come out of that one thing. So yeah. Uh, for my last question, it's a very fairly easy question. Do you have any advice to the audience watching or listening? Um, I mean, uh, the audience is basically filmmakers. I mean, I guess the advice I can give is just to never stop. Never stop being you. Never stop doing what you love. Follow your heart, follow your dreams, because you know, this is what you love. So you only live one life. Um, might as well uh, do the best that you can at it. 
Um, it's not going to be an easy route. It never is, but usually worthwhile things are never easy. Um, just keep pushing yourself, stay motivated, be around positive people. Um, and, and it's, it's easy to feel discouraged a couple of days, but you know, at the end of the day, just keep working, keep being better, keep, keep aiming towards being and doing better. Um, because it's, it's worth it in the end, I think. So. And with that, thank you, Beatrice, for taking the time to actually doing all this. Uh, oh, before we go, uh, do you have any social medias you want to plug? BeatriceSniper.com um, is my website where you can just pretty much find anything. Um, I think Instagram, a lot of makeup artists believe that uh, you need a better Instagram than a website. So I have them both. Why not? So Instagram is uh, BeatSniper, so B-E-A Sniper. Be a sniper. Uh, um, and then, uh, I don't know, I also have a Facebook page um, that I, I uh, neglect sometimes because I always assume everything is on my website. So um, that's just pretty much that as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, so, uh-oh. And with that, thank you for joining me and take care, everyone.